Okay, that's it? Yeah. I can see some of the girls, but the question is, can they hear me? Can they hear me? Cannot start know. video. Can you hear? Can you hear me? Yes, they can hear me. Okay, yalla, beseda, toda. Cannot start video. Fail to start the video. Camera, please select another video camera. Top. And yet, at Okay, I'm going to start. You can all hear me? Yes, they can hear me. It's all right, Susie. Doesn't matter if they, if they can't see. Tov, I don't know what you did. Okay, can I put off the telephone now? Yeah, we're going to fix your phone now. We can speak Okay, bye. Okay, good evening, girls. For you, it's all good morning. I don't know where you are. Um, I can't hear anybody, but I'm going to start. Um, we are going to learn Megillat Ruth. Megillat Ruth is the books that we read on uh, uh, Shavuot. It's one of the five books of Megillot. The word Megillah comes from the word Galal, to all, and we know that you have been in Purim, you know Megillah story. You have to roll every Megillah because rolling, it's also something that you cover and open. Part of Megillah truth, it's there are certain things that are covered, certain things are open for us to understand. We've got five Megillot altogether in the Tanakh. We've got Megillat Eicha that we read on the ninth of Av, that it's the saddest day of the year. We've got Shira Shirim that we read on Pesach. We've got Kohelet that we read on Sukkot. We've got Megillat Esther that we read on Purim. And we've got Megillat Ruth that we read on Shavuot. The question is, I'm not going into the other books, but why do we read Megillat Ruth on Shavuot? There are few answers for it. One of them is that David Melech is the great-grandson of Ruth, and he was born and died on Shavuot. David Melech lived exactly 70 years. Actually, David was supposed to die on the day that he was born, but Adam Rishon gave him 70 years. Avdama Rishon was supposed to be, to live 1,000 years, but he lived only 930 years because 70 years of his life he gave to King David. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is, um, you know, on Shavuot we bring the two loaves of Lechem Apanim as an offering, and it's made out of wheat. Barley, we bring on Pesach, barley is ripe before the wheat, wheat ripe a bit later on Shavuot, and the story, just let me put off the telephone. Rivka? Okay. 
We know that David came out of root, yes? And that's very, very important. So we call her Ima Shel Malchut, the mother of the kingdom. It's root. And it's a very, very important to remember this kind of thing. Um, who wrote the book of root? Actually, was Shmuel Anavi. Shmuel, that was the son of Hana and Elkanah, he wrote the book of root. Now, when did all this story happen? The story of Ruth actually happened at the time of the judges. I don't know how much you know the history, but I'll go a bit back. You know, the Jews came to Eretz Israel from Egypt. Moshe did not come to Eretz Israel. It was Yahushua, his uh, student pupil who came in and conquered the country. And afterwards came a time of judges. We are speaking about the time of judges where the Mishkan, the holy things, were in Shiloh, north of Jerusalem. And Hannah, the mother of Shmuel, she actually prayed to God, please, I want a child. And she got this kind of unbelievable child, Shmuel, that was a prophet. And we actually say every Friday night in our prayer uh, that Aaron and Moshe are equal to Shmuel. That's how Shmuel was such a great man. And Shmuel was the Navi, and he wrote the book of, uh, of uh, Ruth. What time of history it happened? It happened at the time of the judges. The ju and it's written in the book, does any of you have got the book of Shoftim? If not, I'm going to read. If you have got, it's better. Um, I'll read it and I'll translate in my own words. Uh, although I've got the English, but I don't always like the English translation. It's written, It was the time when the judged judge. The time of the judged were that uh, they were the leaders. The word shfot, when the, who judged who? That's the question. If the judge judged the people, were the leaders, or maybe the people were criticized about the judges, about their leaders. 
You know, everything, if you look at history, you see exactly the same nowadays, when the people judge the leaders, and that's what happened in those days as well. People did not accept always what the leaders have said, they judged them, and it was not such a good time. Um, it depends which mefaresh you take, you know, there are a lot of mefarshim, a lot of explanation. Some of them said, actually it was the time of Ivzan, Ivzan was the judge, um, and he was a real tzaddik, he was a real uh, pious, but still people did not actually listen to him. Some say it was in between him and another judge, and people started to behave not exactly right. And what happened in this time? You know, we are now at the time of the corona. We are now uh, at the time that we don't know actually what happened in the world. Look, the whole world became a little village and we all are in the same place. Even if you look about all kinds of plagues that happened through the history, so you can say it happened in Europe or it happened in America, but it did not happen in the whole world like today. No matter where you are in the world, it's exactly <laughs> Same now. The question is, why is it happening? But in every generation there is something and we need to look at ourselves to find out and to learn the lesson, how to improve it that it won't happen. And it was the time that it was a famine in Israel. The word that it says here, Vayehi, and it was. Every time in the Tanakh, in the Bible, when it says the word Vayahi, means something bad happened. If we open the book of Megillat Esther, Vayahi bimei Achashverosh, and it was the time of Achashverosh, we know nothing good happened there. Exactly now, at the time of the book of Shoftim, when it says Vayahi bimei, and it says double time, it means it was a very bad time. What happened was a famine. A famine, it's very bad because people don't have food. And I don't know how much you hear about Israel. People don't have work. So people start to say, we don't have food. Yes? And all these kind of things, it, I don't know what, but I look at it as if a Kadosh Baruch Hu telling me, read the book and see how history, we need to learn from the past. We need to do things. HaKadosh Baruch Hu telling us all the time, we need to learn to do something about it, not to sit and say, oh, it's something new. No, it repeats, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us something. And when it says, and it was the time of the judges, what happened? It was a famine in the country. And it was, again, a bad thing happened. Now, what happened? We speak about a place, Beit Lechem. We know that Beit Lechem is actually south of Yerushalayim, and we know who is buried in Beit Lechem, Rachel Imeno. And it was a very, very important city, and it was actually the place of the tribe of Yehuda. You know, we're speaking about the time where every tribe used to sit in their own place, yes? And from Yerushalayim south, it was the tribe of Yehuda. And Bethlehem, of course, was part of it because it's really very close to Yerushalayim. And a family was there. 
And it says, וילך איש מבית לחם יהודה. And a man left the place. From Beit Lechem that belonged to Yehuda. Where did he go to? To Sdei Moab. Um, now, the word Vayelech, and he went, it says twice in the Torah. In the, once it says Vayelech Ish Mebet Levi, in Chumash Mot, it speaks about um, Amram, the father of Moshe. Yes? And we know when Vayelech, you mean he left his wife and he returned to her because of his daughter Miriam. And we know who came out of it. The Moshiach, the one who saved the Jews from Egypt. This time, Vayelech Ish, also by him, he left. And we know that through him came Ruth, that was the mother of the kingdom, we know that Mashiach ben David will come out. Again, we speak about the time of Mashiach. I hope now it's the time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will send us the Mashiach with this terrible plague. And that's what happened. Now, what did he do? He left Beit Lechem, that was very important. This man, when it's written Ish, in the Torah, Ish, it's, meaning it's an important person. Important person was most probably very, very important. Usually an important person also is a rich man, usually, even nowadays. And he left Bethlehem, he moved into Moab. Um, he left together with his wife and his two sons. Now, when we speak about it, it's written that he moved Lagur, Lagur to live. Um, Lagur, it's also like Ger, not for a long time. He didn't think he will stay there a long time. He thought, I will move out a bit and I'll come back when time will be better. Um, he didn't think he will stay there a long time. And it's written, Bisdei Moab. He, will dis he said, I'm not going to buy a property there. I will move, I'll, I'll rent a flat here, a flat there, and I will move from one place to another. That's what he decided at the beginning. And the, now the question is, why did he move out of Bethlehem? He was a very wealthy man, but because he was such a wealthy man and from a very important family, people started to knock at his door and said, please, can we get some food? His wife, uh, Naomi, like her name, was a very pleasant woman. She gave to the poor people. He did not like it. He said, no, sorry. I made my money, I don't want to give it away. And he just decided that's it, in order not to give to the other people, he's leaving the place. And he took his wife and his two children. He doesn't even say at the beginning the name of his wife and children because he was the one who decided, he didn't ask them, he didn't consult with them, he didn't discuss with them. I'm going and that's it. And then it tells us in the next pasuk the name of the man. And the name of the man was Elimelech. Every name in Jewish word, it has got a meaning. Elimelech means Eli to me, Melech king. I'm going, for me will come the kingdom. Now, because he was belonging to the tribe of Yehuda, and we know the kingdom actually belonged to the tribe of Yehuda. 
He also belonged to a very important family, the family of Nachshon ben Aminadab. We know who was Nachshon when the Jews left Egypt and came to cross the Red Sea. He was the first one to jump into the water. Akadosh Baruch Hu makes a lot of nisim, a lot of miracles. Every day it's a miracle. The fact that we get up in the morning, it's a big miracle. Akadosh Baruch Hu makes a lot of miracles. But in order to make a miracle, we people need to do an action. So Nachshon ben Aminadab, when they were standing in front of the Red Sea, he jumped into the water. And that's when the sea split and was very important person. And Elimelech came from this family. And uh, he said, for sure, now it will be for my side, yes, my family, the kingdom will start. And he was sure about it, and he was very, very happy about it. Then the name of his wife, Naomi, Naomi means pleasant. She was a very pleasant, she was a, a very kind woman. She did a lot of chasadim, a lot of good deeds all the time. And he had two sons, and the, the name of his sons is Machlon and Kilion. Machlon means come from the word machala, like sick man, that something will happen to him. It's not a good thing. Kilion means, Klaya means finished. We know that they died very young. So when we name our children, we always say, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when parents think, oh, I choose a beautiful name, blah, blah, blah. Actually, there is a bit of Ruach HaKodesh, everybody names, is also when HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us in these seconds also a bit of Ruach HaKodesh to name our children. Sometimes we don't realize, we don't, we think we are smart enough, but not. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us always. And it says that they were Ephratim, Ephrat. I'm sure all of you know the name of the city Ephrat, that it's, after Bethlehem, and because it's written Bethlehem uh, Be'efrat, but in the Tanakh, in the Bible, Ephratim means important people, meaning this was a very, very important family. And they came from Bethlehem that belongs to Yehuda. We know that there were two Bethlehem. There is one Bethlehem up in the north, and, and that's why it's written Beit Lechem Yehuda from the heritage of south of Jerusalem, where the tribe of Yehuda was. And they came to Sdei Moab. They, at the beginning, actually really did move from one flat to another. They rented here, rented there, because they decided we are not going to stay here. And they were there. Now, the minute Vayusham and they were there, it meant they didn't come back to Israel. They didn't come back to Eretz Israel. And the fact that they were there and didn't come back, Hashem punished Elimelech and he, Vayamat Elimelech Ishnomi, and Elimelech died there, and the, the husband of Naomi, and, and she was, she remained alone with her two sons. Now, usually when a man dies and he is married, the heaviness, the hard time is always falling on the wife. She's the one to stay with him, without him. She, and Naomi stayed. Yes, children continue. The wife is the, actually the one who stayed alone. 
And I say it now, especially because you know, tonight we start Yom HaZikaron. Yom HaZikaron, it's the Remembrance Day of the fallen people, soldiers, or anyone who fell during the, from the independence war until today. A lot of them were married men that died, and I spoke to a lot of uh, women, and really it's still very hard on the women. Children continue, the wife, it's very, very hard. And actually, you know, when we speak about Megillat Ruth now, and Yom HaZikaron, although it's uh, Shavuot, but actually from Pesach to Shavuot, we've got few days of remembrance. One of them is Yom HaShoah, we've got Yom HaZikaron and Yom Yerushalayim. It's actually like Sfirat Omer, we count the days when we will be free, Shavuot, when we got the Torah, we became a free people. It's when free people from being slaves to other people, we are only free to worship HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And she remained alone with her two sons. What does she do? She's looking for wives. Wives for, now she's there. She doesn't go back to Eretz Israel yet. And her boys started to go out with girls. I don't need to tell you how it is. And they got married with the daughter of the king of Moab. Now, who is Moab? Moab is a nation. If you have been in the Dead Sea, you could see the mountain of Moab behind the other side of, yes? These were the people who, when the Jews wanted to come to Eretz Israel and they needed water, they didn't, they started no way. But from the other side, the king of Moab was also once kind to, uh, his name was Eglon, and he was kind to Ehud. Ehud was a judge. He was the second or third judge, and he was kind to him. And if a non-Jew is kind, Hashem remembers it. And when Ehud came to him and said, I've got words from Hashem to tell you, he got up to give a, an honor to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and Hashem always remember. And now he got this reward that his two daughters could, could get married to these uh, Jewish boys. Who were these girls? One of them was Orpah. Orpah means Oref, Bek. She actually, as I said, every name has got a meaning. Orpah is the Bek. She actually turned the back to Judaism and she went afterwards, when her husband died, she went back to wherever she was. Ruth, her name was Ruth, Rave, it means to drink the words of Hashem. And Ruth has got a lot of uh, meaning. Ruth also, the gematria, the numeral uh, number of Ruth is 606. Meaning we know that uh, everybody got the seven laws of Noah, yes? Meaning all the goyim have to do it. She only, in order to become a Jew, she needed to add another 606 mitzvot, and this is exactly the number of her name, Ruth. And they lived together with the men for 10 years in Moab. Now, it's a long time to live in another country where there are no Jews at all. 
We are speaking at a time when, when all the Jews lived in Eretz Israel. Only one family lived in the outside of Eretz Israel. Very, very hard. But these two boys, Machlon and Kilion, according to their name, died also very young and no living children. No children left. These two ladies were uh, widows without men. Now there are three widows, Naomi, Orpa, and Ruth. What do we do? And she decided time is coming. I have to go back to home. I have to go back. And she got up and together with her two daughter-in-laws, and she started to return back from Sdemoa, from Moab, because she heard that Hashem already finished the famine in Eretz Israel. Now, if Hashem finished, I can go back. And, uh, and she started, and the two daughter-in-laws, they were in very good contact with the mother-in-law, that it's not always like this, started to walk with her back to Eretz Israel. And then she looked at them and she said, wait a minute, girls. I want you to go back to your country and Hashem will do with your kindness like you did with the dead people. Now, what does it mean with the dead people? They actually buried the two men according to the Jewish way of Yes? Remember, the non-Jewish people buried in a different way. We have got our own way to bury our people. And that's exactly what these two girls did. They buried their husband in a Jewish way. And she said, you did so much kindness with the dead. And remember, kindness with the dead, it's called chesed shel emet. What does it mean? You can do kindness. You know, I must say now, in the time of the corona, People do so much kindness in Eretz Israel that it's unbelievable. But to do a kindness with a live person, meaning I'm doing you a favor, somewhere, I don't think of it, but somewhere at the back of the head, maybe I will need back, so I better be nice, so they will pay me back. When you do a kindness with a dead person, you don't think he will give you back. This is what we call chesed shelemet, a real real kindness, a true kindness, because the dead person will never pay you back. And that's exactly what these two girls did. And that's what Naomi appreciate all the time. And she, and she tells them, in a minute, I'm going to give you time to speak back to me. And she tells them, please girls, go back find rest in the, and find your own man, go, go back. I can't help you. I can't do anything with you. I don't know what I'll find in my own country. I don't know how the people will accept me back. I've got nothing. I'm empty the ends. And they cried with her and they said, no, we're coming with you. They insisted to come with her, but, Again, she, she begged them, please go back. I won't have children. I'm all too old. You know, because in the, the Jewish way, 
they could do ibum, to remarry with the brother of the husband. If a woman become a widow and she has got the brother, the husband has a brother, she needs to get married unless he does chalitza, unless he gives her a, some kind of a thing that she won't marry him. She said, I won't have, at my age, I won't have any more children. Don't even look at it. I'm too old, I'm not married, I won't have children. Please go back. Go. You can, you can still go. marry and you'll have children. She really begged them and again they cried and what happened was one of them went back. Orpah, the one that I told you was there, she turned her back to the mother-in-law, went back to her family. Ruth, and here is something beautiful, Ruth insisted to go with with Naomi. And Naomi tried to convince her to go, and, and Ruth said to her something very, very important. For wherever you go, I shall go. And wherever you lodge, I shall lodge. And your people are my people. Your God, my God. Meaning, there is very interesting meaning. When she said, wherever you go, I shall go. Remember, the both of them come from a very important family. They were the daughter of the king. In this kind of a time, they used to go, to, they did movies on those days, but they used to go to a circus, to all kinds of things. The Jewish people don't go. And she said, I'll stop going to these places. And then she said, I shall lodge where your people lodge, meaning, here, where in every house of ours, we have got mezuzah. I will be only in houses where there is a mezuzah. And she said, and your people are my people. It means I'm going to be friends only with the Jewish people. It means she says she's cutting away all her past in order to join the Jewish people. And of course, the last thing, your God is my God. We are speaking about the time when still, still people were worshipping idols. Not, you know, like today the Muslims still believe in God, uh, the Christians believe in God. In those days, people worship idols. Not to worship idols, to believe in God, it was very, very important. And here she goes from one little detail to the other to tell Naomi, I know I'm going to follow your way. Um, before I continue, if anyone has got question, I'll be very happy to answer or if you want to discuss something. Anybody wants to say anything? Love your class, Rivka. It's so Fun? good. It's so good, your class. It's, this is so interesting. Who is speaking? Brenda. Ah, Brenda. Okay. How are you? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> I'm excited to see you all. <laughs> but if anyone has got anything to ask or whatever, wow. <laughs> no one has got any question? 
Everything was so clear. Uh, no, I have a question because uh, why is Ruth seen as the like very important person in uh, David Amelach's life? Well, she's only his great grandmother. Like, why is it so important? Why is it so important? I didn't hear properly. Can you say it a bit louder? Who is speaking? Uh, I'm Yael Mendelsohn. Um, okay. Uh, why is Ruth such, a, such an important character in the life of David Hamelech? She's just his great-grandmother. Why not his mother or his... I don't know. It's like, why, is this, why is she so uh, prominent? Why is it so... I, I, very good question. Because, you know, when we look at our where we are coming from, yes? It's very important to see where we are from, yes? Now, remember Ruth, as she was what we call the great-grandmother, what happened to her? She was the one who started because she, we will come into it in a later show, she was the one who married Boaz. Boaz was a member of the family of Naomi, and he only lived one night, then when she fell pregnant and he died, and that's the beginning of our kingdom. Now remember, before, before David, we had another king. Who was the other king? Shaul. Exactly, but Shaul was uh, not from the tribe of Yehuda. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And when we speak about kingdom, we know kingdom actually should be from the tribe of Yehuda. Uh, I have a question. It's not totally related, but why was Shaul actually king? Like, who anointed, anointed him to king? Because... Uh, who anointed uh, Shaul as a king? Shmuel. Yeah. Shmuel anointed two kings. He anointed Shaul. Yes. So why first... Like, so why first the wrong one? Not straight why is Shaul? Very good question. Because when the, the Israelites asked for a king... Shmuel was a bit upset. He said, you have got a king. You have got a Kadosh Baruch Hu. He's our king of kings. Yes? Ah, uh, yeah. So that's why at the beginning Hashem gave them, but when it started properly, Hashem said, that's enough. Now we start the real kingdom. Ah, uh, okay. It was about 400 years after they came to Israel when they started kingdom. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Any other questions, girls? Yeah, why is Orpa faulted if she's... If somebody speaks, can you speak a bit louder because I don't hear? Yeah, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, but speak loud, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, if she was following what Ruth had asked of her, or sorry, what... Naomi had asked of her, why is she faulted? Why did what? Ruth asked. Right? She told her to return. Like Ruth stayed with her, but she told her to, to, to return. To is actually following what she said, right? Um, that's exactly what it is. Every, everyone who wants to become a Jew, yes, we have to Tell him not to come, it's not worth it. You know, what do you need it? It's a headache, yes? We need always to, at least three times to tell a non-Jew, I created you, you don't need to become a Jew. Nothing wrong, 
So still a creation of God. And here she insisted again and again. She wanted. That's why we see Orpa went back. Nothing wrong with it. But Ruth decided to glue, to stick into uh, Naomi. So is it from this story where we get that we tell converts, people who are wishing to convert to Judaism, um, three times that they... Yeah, we need to tell converts exactly three times in a nice way, of course. Um, and I must tell you from my own experience, I had a lady, I was teaching her for a whole year, and every time I told her, you don't need to become a Jew if you don't want to. Yes? After a year that she was studying, she was an excellent lady. She told me, you know what, Rifa? I thought about it. I don't want to become a Jew. I said, it's all right. At least you've got knowledge and you know what the Jewish people are. And she said, I appreciate it and I will always love. And I don't want, I said, as long as you keep the seven laws of Noah, you need to learn them properly. It's all right. Because I personally, I believe Hashem created everybody with an aim. Everybody has got something to do in this world. So that's why you can see, you know, me told them, you don't need to become a Jew. It's not written anywhere. We are not a missionary religion. Thanks, Ravka. Okay, any more questions? No? Okay, I'm going to stop here a minute about Megillat uh, Ruth. I just want to say a few words about Yom HaZikaron. I know you'll have a lesson afterwards, but for my own experience... No, no, amazing. That's exactly, it's perfect. Pardon? That's exactly what I want. It's now perfect. Okay. It's nice. I just want to say a few words about Yom HaZikaron for my own experience. Um, Yom HaZikaron, it's a very, very difficult day. Um, it's not the your site of the people, because everybody died in a different day, but it's a collective day that we have to think, and everybody knows, or most of the people in Israel know somebody. In my family, for my sorrow, we lost few. I had an uncle who was, uh, I don't know how much you know, but in Yerushalayim, you know Yerushalayim was divided until 1967 into part of it, uh, the Jordanian uh, took over for 19 years, and the new Yerushalayim was in the hands of the Jewish people. Except one little area in Mount Scopus. Mount Scopus belonged was supposed to belong to the Jewish people, to the state of Israel, because the Hebrew University was there, Hadassah Hospital was there, and at the university there, were, there was a very, very big library and a lot of Mabadot uh, uh, labs and all the things. People couldn't take it. And that was an agreement that the Jewish people will look after it. Every two weeks, policemen, we're going up to the mountain to look after the place. And it was surrounded by the Jordanian and few of the UN people. And in 1958, my uncle, my mother, brothers was supposed to go up there. He went there as a policeman and the Jordanian uh, shot 
the Israelis there. He was one of the four people who was killed on the mountain two weeks before he got married. Oh. Then I had a cousin, my mother's nephew. Uh, he was a paratrooper in, and he fought in Yerushalayim, like all the paratroopers took over, uh, freed Yerushalayim from the end of the Jordanian. And he was supposed to get married a day, on the three days before Shavuot, I think a day before Chag Shavuot. And he told, and the wedding was supposed to be in Yerushalayim, big thing. But my uncle called my parents and told them, um, Yossi is getting only permission to come for a chupa, and we are doing it at two o'clock in the afternoon. If you want, you can come. If not, it's all right. We understand. My parents were ready to go to Yerushalayim. And he said he's getting this time off from his uh, officer, and he walked out of a uh, Mendelbaum gate, and an officer shot him dead on his way to the wedding. So that's my cousin who was killed on the Six Days War. And my other cousin, my father nephew, was killed on the Yom Kippur War on the first year of the wedding. They couldn't find his body for nearly a year. He found the body, now he's buried in Sdeliau. And uh, so, and I've got another cousin that her son was killed with the helicopters. There were 73 boys who were killed 20 something years ago. So it's not only my family, every family, and if it's not a family, it's a friend, that you know that somebody was killed. This is the time that we really think about him, about them. Over 20,000 men and women were killed during this time for the last 72 years. And we need to think about them and we need to remember, but we need to remember that we live, we need to bring the life into the way. The only life that we know is what we call Torah Tachayim, the way of Torah, and that's how we need. And one of the things that it leads that's what I say, it's unbelievable that we learn the book of Ruth that comes into Shavuot, we receive the Torah. This is what these men and women gave us to continue to live according to the way of the Torah. And this is what I think Yom HaZikaron, to remember why we are here, why we study, why we learn, in order to remember, we do learn, we do learn Torah in order to bring the real way <coughs> life into this world. And I think it's very important. Uh, if people can light a candle, your side candle, yes. And even if you think two minutes, three minutes about anyone, it will really be appreciated on this day. And of course, the minute it's finished, we will we'll start Yom Ha'atzma'ut, the Independence Day of uh, Israel, when uh, Ben Gurion on Hebeya, 14th of May, 1948, uh, declared about the state of Israel. And if anybody reads, that's what people don't remember. He said, Medinat HaYehudim, it's a Jewish state. It's not everybody states, it is a Jewish state. We need to remember to keep it as a Jewish place. Hashem gave it to us not to the other people. And that's important to remember. Anything, anybody wants to add anything to it? 
Brenda? Um, no, it was so well said, Rivka. Really, it, it was beautiful. Um, I know for me, like I have, uh, I have a few cousins who live in Israel who they've all served in the, in the army. And then I have one cousin who is currently serving. He's in the Air Force. So, um, yeah, I always think about them on Yom Hazikaron. On Yom Hazikaron. Uh, yeah. yeah, always. Exactly. It's very, very important. We all have to think, we all have to speak about it, no matter where we are. I agree. Anybody else? Rivka? Yes. Is there a bracha you need to make when you light the candle for the yard site? No, no. You don't need it, but you light it and that's it. Thank you. Okay, Hannah. Hannah Tzvi, when you. are you coming back? I'm waiting. I'm here. We, we're in Jerusalem. We didn't leave. Ah, you didn't I thought you went back. Wow. No. Uh, I'm learning so much Hebrew. Fantastic. Good. So give me a call and we can talk a bit. Okay. Okay. I'll be very happy. Quarantine? I'll be very happy to meet you. <laughs> okay. I think from next week it will be a bit easier. Okay, fantastic. Rivka, are you in quarantine? Pardon? Are you in quarantine? Like you're in, you're just like in Israel, like you guys are in like No, no, it just we are all so they tell us not to go out, but we are not. Okay. I don't tell anybody every day I go out. <laughs> I won't tell. <laughs> every day I have to go out. I can't be in. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay, remember guys, in about five minutes, there will be the siren when everybody stands up and remember. I always believe to stand up, it's a very, it's not exactly the right thing, but if people do it, I do it as well, but to read a chapter in Tehillim or two chapters in Tehillim to commemorate these people, it's much, much better than just to stand and do nothing. To read Tehillim, it's much better. Okay, anybody else? Is it, yeah, is it like a, uh, is, are there like specific tailing? Pardon? Any special tailing? No? Any yeah. Tailing? Any peric will be good. You can read anything you want. Okay. Wow, Thank so you nice. so much. Thank you so much, Rivka. It was such it's a my pleasure, time. and I hope next week we will have another show. And yes. I will in the meantime, yes. if you can read, find out questions, you know, by me, yes. don't take things for granted. I always say, challenge me, ask. Absolutely. Okay. All the best, girls. Have a wonderful Yom Hatzmaut. You too. And it was wonderful to see you all. Bye. Bye. Great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Wow.
Siren just started if anyone wants to hear it. Okay, good evening, everyone. Hi. You guys here? Did you guys hear me? Perfect. So, um, so as you guys just heard, um, here, here in Israel, we just started um, for the next 24 hours, um, Yom Azikaron, Memorial Day. And you know, my mom asked me if I could actually give over a class right now. So I said, I felt that it was the most um, appropriate to actually do something connected um, to the day um, itself. Um, um, and to speak a little bit about how, um, how Yom Zikaron actually started um, and a little bit specifically about, um, about one story, um, the story of the Battle of Falcion, or the story of Bushetzion. Um, and with that, we will start in a minute. I'll just give another minute or two for more people to join, and then we will start. First of all, it's great to see um, faces that we haven't seen for so long. <laughs> So in one second, we will be starting. So we'll give it one more minute, and then, um, and then we will start. At the meantime, whoever's host, can you um, turn me into a host? I could screen share. Well, I have to have. 
איפה מצאת את זה? הלכתי בתור, אני תמיד לפני תפילה, נוטה לי עדיין עוד פעם. Let's see if that'll work now. Give me a minute. I'm sorry about that. Just, I'm just trying to figure out who this is so we could. Hello? Shalom. No? No? Uh, how do I do it? Wait. Meeting, I don't... Wait a minute. I can't see where. Uh, and oh yes, I can see end meeting. Yeah. End meeting for all. Leave meeting. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Hi everyone. Now it seems like we could do this. Much better. Okay, so um, so hi everyone. I just just let me know if you could see actually the screen. Um, just give me a feedback for a second that you could actually see it, um, and then we'll start. So as um, so as I said, hi everyone again. Uh, my name is Adol, and so nice to see some uh, some faces from this year, from years before, um, and we started off. Um, Literally, the first minute of uh, our class was the siren that opened up the events of, uh, of Yom Zikaron, of Memorial Day here in Israel. And um, it's very, very big. Um, of course, you could imagine that um, whoever was here in past years and whoever, unfortunately, is not here at the moment. Uh, but, but normally, what we would be doing is tomorrow, we would be going up to Mount Herzl, um, to the National Memorial. Um, um, cemetery um, to the biggest and largest military one and um, and we would go there um, and to really be part um, of kind of the shift that Israel goes through 
uh, for the next 24 hours that within 60 seconds, we actually um, switch over to, um, to the happiest day within Israeli society, which is um, Independence Day. Um, and if you think about it, for the next 48 hours, um, so many people um, here in Israel are going through um, crazy emotions, um, challenging times, um, and you know, a lot, a lot that's really going on here in the next um, 48 hours. And we thought that it would be appropriate for us to actually speak now um, a little bit of how Yom Zikaron um, turned out specifically onto this day. Um, and what are the events that actually uh, bring us um, to that? And why do they actually connect um, Yom Zikaron to um, Independence Day, which is going to start um, tomorrow night? Um, so just like a few basic things of what happened here. So as, as we heard, whoever was on, um, there's a siren now at 8 o'clock in the evening in Israel that starts. Um, and tomorrow at 11 o'clock, there's going to be a siren for two minutes which will start the ceremonies all around, all around Israel. It's going to be in schools, well, theoretically in schools. It's going to be um, in the cemeteries itself, which of course this year everything's a little bit different uh, because of the current situation that we're in. So you can always stop me if you want to, um, to ask questions. Uh, but what we'll start with um, is going to be the story of Falatzion, or the story of Bushetzion. Um, I'm sure, um, where is Gush Etzion, what it, and why is this story specifically so significant? Um, so we're talking about um, Gush Etzion, which is right south of Jerusalem, of, of Yerushalayim, and the importance of our story over here is when the battle of Falatzion and Gush Etzion starts. Um, and for that, we're going to start, first of all, um, if you look at this picture for a second, um, you could see here that these are soldiers, or I'd say people that settled in Faritzion, um, who are in the middle of Davening, um, and are waiting um, right by the posts, um, just in case there's going to be a battle which is going to break out, um, which tells us a little bit about the people that are living there. But our story doesn't happen right at this moment. Um, sorry, this was for anyone who wants to say Tehillim during the siren, I just forgot to put on time. Um, but our story goes back just a few months before, before the fall of Gush Etzion to um, one of the most famous maps um, here in Israel um, and to a famous date that I know in class we started talking about it just a bit, which, um, which is going to be the 29th of November of 1947. Um, this is the end of the British mandate. Um, as we say in Hebrew, it's very big balagan what's happening here. Lots of chaos of what's going on, so many different entities, each one wants something else. And the British mandate, the British who are here and have the mandate from the United Nations say enough is enough. We can't deal with, um, with what's going on here. And already from the 1930s, there's going to be the first time that an international committee is going to come to the land of Israel. Um, and say the two entities that are here, the Jewish ones and the Arab ones, cannot live together. And what we're going to know later on as the partition plan, um, already they're going to start um, offering this. But this is the most important map, the map from 1947. Um, and this is going to be the map that the United Nations on November 29th of 1947 
are going to vote on. And the vote um, is voting on to establish, first of all, to end the British mandate and to establish two states um, here in the land of Israel, this tiny land of Israel. And what is it going to be? The blue, everything that you see here in the blue is going to be the Jewish state. Okay, as you could see over here, um, even though it's all connected, uh, but it's very, very difficult to actually protect this land, right? It's not the most ideal um, map that we could get. All the pink um, over here is going to be the Arab state. And if you see right here in the middle, right where Jerusalem is, there's this, this yellow area. That was supposed to be international. That included the city of Yerushalayim, the city of Jerusalem, and the city of Beit Lechem, um, which was a holy site also for Jews and for Christians. And the British said, you know, let's leave that international. The world should be the one to take care of it. Now, where's Gush Etzion in this whole map? Gush Etzion is right here south. You see where my, uh, where my arrow is, is right south of the city of Yerushalayim, north of the city of Hebron. Hence to say, in the middle um, of what is supposed to be the Arab country. When we speak about Gush Etzion, we're not speaking about Gush Etzion of today. We're speaking about exactly four, um, four kibbutzim, um, or four settlements, four Jewish points of settlements um, that are these four places. I'm going to move to that map and we'll come back to it in a second. The main one and the first one that's going to be established is going to be the kibbutz Akfar Etzion. Then we have here Masu'ot Yitzchak. We have here Ensurim. And the last one, number four, is Revadim. Okay, did everyone see it? I'll just show it again. We have Ensurim up here, Revadim, Masu'ot Yitzchak, and Kfar Etzion right here in the bottom. All around them, and they're surrounded by Arab villages. So you have here four Jewish points um, in basically um, in enemy territory um, at the time, which after um, the partition plan, after the vote in the United Nations in November 29th of 1947, everyone understands that this is going to be part of the Arab state. And now there's a very big question of what happens. Do these four points, these four kibbutzim, these four Jewish settlements say this is not supposed to be part of the Jewish state, so we pick up and leave? Or we come in and say, absolutely not, we're here and we're going to defend our families and our home that we built. And it's a very, very big dilemma, um, of course. Uh, but before we get to that dilemma, um, and I'll stop for questions in just one second. So this area of Gush Etzion, which is south of Jerusalem, is a very, very, very difficult area to actually settle. Um, it's part of the Judean hills, the Judean mountains. Um, very, very hard rocks uh, to deal with. Very difficult to start agriculture there. Um, not a lot of um, water sources that back when they actually knew attempts actually. The first one was in 1927, which would believe, which they'll leave two years later in 1929. Um, in the riots of 1929. Um, then they're going to re retry and settle in 1935, but unfortunately the riots of 1936 are going 
um, to force them to leave. And the third settlement, and that's the most important one that we're talking about now, um, is going to be in the year of 1943. Um, it was actually established um, on April 30th, which was the end of Nissan, so literally right in the time that we're in right now. Um, that's when they decide um, to come back up to Gush Etzion and to resettle the land. Hello. Did she lose connection? I don't know. I was about to. iPad joined. I think iPad is me. Hey, you guys hear me? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so sorry, totally sorry about that. Um, I guess we just had an internet problem over here. So we'll take this opportunity for a second to stop for a second if anyone has any questions. Um, as I put um, the slide back on, um, up until now, because I know we just went through a lot of information. So if any questions, you could just unmute yourself and, um, and ask. Ada, I have a question. Yes. Um, this is actually from the very, very beginning of the conversation. Why are there two sirens? Why are there two sirens? Okay, that's a great question. Um, so the siren really comes as a place to, um, like to honor uh, the fallen soldiers and the victims of terror, which is a later addition uh, to the law of Yom Zikaron. And that's why um, it's kind of a moment of silence that you stop, all of Israel stop. Um, and because um, this is specifically for, for the soldiers um, and for um, the victims of terror, um, the state of Israel decided that there's going to be one at night that starts it and one in the day, which is, act, which is going to um, um, start the ceremonies. Interestingly enough that up until the 1980s, there was a third siren um, that ended Yom Zikaron, and then people asked to, to stop and to take that off because we were going straight into Independence Day and they were like, it's just too hard to move from a siren that like you're so sad and you know, thinking of your loved ones to the celebrations of Yom Atzmoth. So that was actually taken off already in the 1980s, but originally there were three sirens. So you could kind of just like imagine what it actually does to the day. It's like the whole day for 24 hours, you're focused on one thing. You're saying not only the families now are thinking about their loved ones, but as a nation, um, we stop and we commemorate. Um, and that of course comes with, with many, many other stuff. Now, why does it start at night? Is because um, even the state of Israel that as a state is, is not a religious state, it's a secular state, goes by when, by within Judaism, when we actually start a day. That means that from the night until the following, until the following evening, until sundown. Um, and that's why the day actually starts from tonight until tomorrow night. Does that answer the question? Yes, thank you. Perfect. Do we have any other questions? Anything up until now? Okay, so then, um, so then I guess we'll continue. Um, I'll just say um, about Gush Etzion or the settlement of Gush Etzion up until 1948 that all of these um, four, um, all these four um, Jewish settlements um, after fall of Gush Etzion, and that's where it is. Um, four of them actually are down south next to the area of Kiryat Malachi today. Um, and when I went to my pre-army program, actually I was in Masoat Yitzchak. So the original Masoat Yitzchak actually started um, in Gush Etzion and then shifted down to the area of Kiryat Malachi in Ashkelon today which is interesting kind of how stuff shift and move like that. Um, as I said with the story, we said the next day after, um, after the partition plan, the UN uh, partition plan, which passes, um, as we all know, um, it's going to pass in 33 that are four 
for this, 13 against, and 11 who abstained, which Britain was one of them, um, who abstains as well. Um, of course, they can't. Action should happen over here. And, um, and then the next day, um, 30th of November, what we are going to call today the War of Independence is going to break out. And we speak about the War of Independence, we're talking about the longest war um, that Israel's ever had. It was over a year and a half, um, starting from November 30th, about a really, really long time, with different phases and different stages, and we're not going into all of them. But the first phase, and this is the phase that we're in right now, is going to be from the partition plan, um, from, from, from the partition plan over here, from November 30th, up until um, the declaration of of the State of Israel, which is going to happen on Friday afternoon of May 14th, 1948, in Tel Aviv. And our story of Kfar Etzion and Gush Etzion happens um, over here. Um, and as I said, because we're in an area which is totally an Arab area, um, straight away Gush Etzion is going to be put under siege. And because all the roads between Yerushalayim, between Jerusalem, to um, Gush Etzion, all go through Arab territory. They all go right next to Beit Lechem, um, and it's very, very, very difficult. Um, there's going to be quite a few attempts throughout these months to bring ammunition, to bring food um, to the people and to the fighters of Gush Etzion over these times, um, with some of the most terrible stories that happen on the way. Um, one of the more famous one um, is going to be um, what's called Shayert al or the 35 people um, of the platoon um, of the Lamed Hay who are going to leave from the area of Beit Shemesh um, in January to try and bring supplies to Gush Etzion. Um, right before they're going to get there, they're going to be found by, um, by, a, few, um, by a few Arabs. Um, and the last battle um, is going to take place um, not far from Tfalatzion, and all 35 um, fighters are going to die in this battle. Um, and uh, there's quite a few of these really, really difficult stories um, that happen in these months. But we're going to jump now. Um, one last thing before that. Um, in this time, um, in March already, they decide to evacuate most of the women and the children from Gush Etzion, from the understanding that we don't know what's going to be but at least let's say the children. A lot of the people, the founders of, of Gush Etzion, um, say we are not leaving um, and we are going to fight um, until the last bullet that we're going to have and to protect um, our families and, and our homes um, over here. As I mentioned, these were the four Yishuvim. Um, this is the map of the last day and we might get back to it. Um, we'll get back to it then. But I wanna take us now to May 12th um, which is going to be the last battle of Falatzion. And on May 12th, which is going to be Wednesday, um, very, very um, hard battle is going to start um, all over the area of Gush Etzion, mainly on Kfar Etzion, which is the main kibbutz, okay? And that's why our story um, is focused mainly on Kfar Etzion. And, um, and the Arabs, the local Arabs, um, and the Jordanian Legion 
um, who are going to send many, many um, soldiers and tanks from the understanding that they have to conquer the area of Gush Etzion if they want to get to the city of Jerusalem. If we look at it at the flip side, the Jewish fighters and settlements and settlers here of Gush Etzion say, we are not leaving Gush Etzion because we understand that we are kind of that blockage um, and we are the ones protecting physically the city of Jerusalem, the city of Yerushalayim, to fall into the hands of the Jordanians. And we have to do everything we could to protect Yerushalayim. And this battle is going to start on Wednesday afternoon. And at this point, we're after a few months of fighting. There's not a lot of food left. There's not a lot of ammunition left. And everyone understands that the second the Jordanian leaders are going to come with their hundreds and hundreds of soldiers, going to be very, very, very difficult um, to stand against them. And they're going to conquer. Um, they're going to come up until the entrance to Kfar Etzion. And the following day, which is going to be Thursday of May 13th, um, 1948, they're going to break into Kfar Etzion um, as the fighters are still trying to fight them um, and understanding that they can't stand um, against them. And they decide at that point to surrender um, right in front of the right in front of the Jordanians, the Jordanian um, legion. Um, and at this point, after they decide to surrender, a very terrible thing happens because one of the Jordanian soldiers, um, and it's not so clear until today, um, what exactly happened if he didn't understand that they surrendered, even though it was pretty clear, um, or that he didn't hear the orders, um, but they are going, um, they're going to massacre um, all the fighters of Kfar Etzion and of Gush Etzion who survive the battle. And in that last massacre um, of May 13th, the last day of the battle, 127 fighters of Gush Etzion and Kfar Etzion are going to die. Um, and part of them, 21 of them are going to be women. Um, and from that massacre, only four people are going to survive to tell us the story today. And that's how we have that story, of course, today. All the other people from Gush Etzion, so I'm talking about not the people that were killed, um, but the people from Ensurim and Rivadim and Masuot are going to be taken with captivity to, um, to Jordan, and only about nine, 10 months later, um, in part of a ceasefire agreement with Jordan, they're going to come back to Israel um, and try um, and start their life again um, after, after this whole story. This picture that you see over here um, is actually the original bunker um, where, where some of the last fighters of Kfar Tzion um, were in, um, and especially the wounded ones. Um, it was kind of like it was kind of like the hospital over there. And um, a Jordanian soldier is going to throw a grenade in there, and when it explodes, we could just imagine the effect and what actually happens um, over there in um, in the bunker. And um, and this happens, as I said, a day before. Um, the establishment of the state of Israel. Um, and the following day, on Friday afternoon, as 
as the battle of Kfar Etzion and the flames um, are kind of still coming up. Um, and that Friday, David Ben-Gurion is going to stand up um, in the city of Tel Aviv. And now we can understand a little bit why it's the city of Tel Aviv. Because the city of Jerusalem, which is the capital um, of the city, is actually under siege. At this point, no one could come into the city and no one could come out of the city. Um, and therefore, he's going to stand um, in Tel Aviv and he's going to establish a Jewish state um, after 2,000 years. Um, so what do we see here in the three pictures? First of all, here on the right, um, you can see the picture um, of Independence Hall, which today is under innovations, uh, probably going to open up in the next few years um, as a new museum, kind of speaking about the history of independence and all that. You can see David Ben-Gurion right here in the middle. You could see all the officials that were actually invited to the ceremony. Um, and in the middle, um, you could see the official invitation that was sent out to 300 people to come um, and join this ceremony that David Ben-Gurion is going to establish a Jewish state. Um, now, I'll translate part of it because there's a few, um, few funny things about it. So it says, um, okay, you're, you're invited to come to, um, basically to Hachazat to, um, to the independence, um, um, to, like to the Declaration of Independence, which is going to happen on a Friday afternoon. Hey, hey, be'yal tashach, the Hebrew date, May 14th, 1948, at four o'clock in the afternoon, okay, in the museum, okay, it was in the Tel Aviv Museum, um, and you have the date over there. And then over here, and I guess that's always the best part of this invitation, it says, we ask you please to keep in secret um, this, um, what it says in this invitation and what time we're supposed to be getting together. Needless to say, you're sending this out to 300 Jews. Um, there's no way that this is going to stay a secret. And already in the morning, Friday morning, all the newspapers, not only in Israel, but all, all around the world, um, the headlines are saying that the state of Israel is going to be born today. Um, so a secret, not a secret, we don't, know how to, um, we don't know how to hold secrets. And the whole city of Tel Aviv and all around Israel, um, everyone around the radios uh, back then, um, and basically stuffing the streets, um, excited for this moment um, that's going to come to this point. Um, the declaration is going to take exactly 32 minutes uh, because of Shabbos. And um, of course, over here to the left, you could see uh, the actual uh, declarations and the signings at the end, um, which I could tell you that when David Ben-Gurion actually stands here in Tel Aviv, it's not written on the parchment. He's holding the parchment, but he's actually reading out of papers because until the last second, they were still like trying to figure out the wording of what it's going to say in the declaration. And they didn't actually have time to write it uh, before. Um, as you can see, and you can imagine, it's all in the middle of a war. Like there's a war happening over here. Um, and also some of the people that um, signed over here weren't actually able to come to Tel Aviv because they were, for instance, in Jerusalem, they were under siege um, at the time. So only later on do they actually add, um, add their signatures. Um, and this happens less than 24 hours after the battle and the fall of Gush Etzion and of Kfar Etzion, which leads us really to the next question of where are we today? 
And why was Memorial Day, why was Yom Zikaron picked exactly to be connected to Yom Atzmot? But before then, I want to see if there is any questions. And anything that I just said, because I know I said a lot. Do you know more about the families that were in Jordan um, from those other Yishuvim? Like, how, how are they doing? Are they being followed? Where do they live in Israel now? So I don't know how they are today. Um, we do know that they came back. Um, that they came back about after nine or 10 months. They didn't take any children. They did take women and they did take like young men. Um, they took about 320 of them to Jordan, um, to captivity. Um, now, when we look at all the fallen um, soldiers, um, also from the Palmach movement and from, and from the settlers itself that defended um, Gush Etzion for all those months since November 30th, up until May 13th, we're talking about 240 fallen soldiers only on the battles of Gush Etzion and Kfar Etzion. We do know that they moved to other places because when they come back about nine, uh, nine, 10 months after that, you can come to Gush Etzion. Gush Etzion is part of Jordan. Okay, that whole area is part of Jordan. So they moved to other places. A lot of them are going to be founders of the new phase of these kibbutzim in other places like Masoat Yitzchak and Ensurim and Revadim, which are down south today. So a lot of them are going to be there today. A lot of families um, and descendants are going to be um, in totally different places. And, um, and uh, yeah, like I, I can't tell you specifically about families, but we'll get for a sec in, in a second uh, to the end um, of what happens with, with some of the people and we'll hear what happens really with, with some of them. But, um, but we do know that they survived through, through that, um, even though it wasn't easy and it was very difficult, but they do come back um, in a ceasefire agreement. Is there any other questions? Any other questions? Okay, so please give me one second because of this whole internet problem that I had, I had to move and disconnect my computer. So I'm, give me one second, I'll be back. So much fun for technical issues, right? We just don't want the computer to die on us just like that. So thank you for bearing with me um, through all of this. So um, any other questions we have or we'll move on? So the big question is of, so now we're at the end of the War of Independence. We're already in March of 1949 at this point. And the question is, when is Yom Zikaron going to be? When is Memorial Day going to be? Now, you can imagine that the first year is going to be very, very chaotic because kind of every family on the Yorzai Day, like on the Memorial Day, will do kind of their own thing. Maybe different cities will be doing their own thing, like the city of Haifa will commemorate their Memorial Day when the city of Haifa was was liberated and the same for other cities like the city of Jerusalem um, and Yafo and Akwa, like all these places. But the, the country as a country hasn't really decided and we're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And they move between many, sorry, they move between many, many dates and options of 
of when Memorial Day officially is going to be because like, okay, so, so the army is doing something, but then there's the families, like, when do you actually invite the families? What do you do? Like, it becomes like a little bit of an issue of when formally is the country actually going to commemorate um, our fallen soldiers. Now, when we speak about the fallen soldiers, we're only talking about at this point, only the soldiers from the War of Independence, right? We're not talking about today that we're looking 72 years back and more, um, the amount of fallen soldiers and victims of terror um, that, um, that we have. Um, but before we get to that, um, I added for you guys here um, a song um, called, um, called The Silver Platter in Hebrew, Magasha Kesef. Um, it's written by, it was written by a very, very famous Israeli poet um, called um, Natan Alterman. And right after the partition plan, okay, so we're talking about in December, um, about three weeks after the UN resolution that passes in the UN, um, he comes out um, with this song that he publishes in the newspaper um, called The Silver Platter. And I brought you the translation here, um, I brought you the translation also in English. Um, I feel like it's very, very powerful. And he's speaking here for a second about who is the silver platter. Um, and I want, and I want to just come down um, to the end over here, um, where it says, then the nation in tears and amazement will ask, who are you? And they will answer quietly, we are the silver platter on which the Jewish state was given. Thus, they will say and fall back in shadows, and the rest will be told in the chronics of Israel. Um, it's very, very powerful. You could see, um, you could read it, you could see the Hebrew um, and, and the English over here. Um, and I brought also the, um, like one of the Israeli singers, um, a singer by the name of Hiram Gaon, who is still alive today, he lives in Jerusalem, who sings this, um, over here. Let's see if it'll work, just we'll put on a short part of it. Because I want you to, first of all, I want you to stay in tune. You guys hear? Yeah. And I'm going to move in the middle of it. Of course, it's in Hebrew because it goes to the Hebrew version. When you jump a little bit. This is the part that I read to you guys in English. Mm 
So, first of all, you guys have the whole song that you could um, that you could listen to. Sorry, um, you have the whole song that you could listen to after. But the reason that I brought this song is from then when Atan Alhamon writes it, he doesn't know what's going to happen in Kfar Etzion. He doesn't even know what's going to happen um, in the whole War of Independence. He writes it really in the first three weeks of the war. And it turned into such an iconic part of not only Israeli society, but of Jewish society coming and saying, one second, what was the sacrifice for us to be able to come back to Eretz Israel, to our land, um, as the Jewish people. Um, and Atan Al-Hilman, at this moment, was able to put it into words that really resonated with many, many people. And I can tell you that until today, and we're talking about 72 years after this was actually written, um, any Israeli kid um, could tell you all about this song. Um, and I really feel like that the end is very, very powerful because they come and say, we are that silver platter. Now we can open up a whole debate. Do you actually have to die for your land and for your people, for your country? Not necessarily. But what does that actually mean to be a silver platter? And what he, they come and say is to the Jewish state. And in Hebrew, what they say is They're not saying to the state of Israel. We, of course, we also don't have the state of Israel yet. But they're coming and saying, we're part of something big. This is something of all of us, of the Jewish people. Um, and, and the understanding of the sacrifice, um, which was so big, um, that happens over here. Um, and I want to take us in the last few minutes that we have of why specifically this story on Yom Zikaron. There's so many stories that we could actually say. We have um, stories of individuals, soldiers, or victims of terror that we could really share on this day. And as I said, it's a really, really powerful day. But in the following year, there's understanding already that, that the day that Gush Etzion falls, the day that Kfar Etzion falls, um, and as the fighters see themselves as the ones who are protecting the city of Yerushalayim, that should be the day that we're going to commemorate all the fallen soldiers, and that it's always going to be connected, literally, basically with glue, between Independence Day and Memorial Day. And if we go back to the song, is if you want to celebrate Independence Day, you want to celebrate us being in a freedom country, um, in a democratic, a Jewish state, you have to also know what the sacrifice was. And David Ben-Gurion um, actually um, says it. I have it only in Hebrew. I wasn't able to, um, to find an English translation, but I'll translate kind of vaguely to, to what I could. So he says, the Battle of Gush Etzion was basically the essence of the Jewish war, the essence of the war of independence, the, the, the ability of the people um, to stand for many, many months, um, kind of four points in, in the heat of, um, you know, in middle of enemy territory, and they didn't let them to actually enter to the city of Jerusalem. And he says, in Kayemet Yerushalayim Ivrit, if we have a Jewish um, Jerusalem, it is just because, and the real thank you, the first thank you in, his, in Israeli history, 
but in the Jewish nation has to come first of all to the fighters of Gush Etzion. And David Ben-Gurion says this in 1950, we're talking about a year after the battle, um, a year and a bit after the battle. And he comes and says, we have to recognize that specifically the battle, the day that Gush Etzion is going to fall, is going to turn into the National Memorial Day for Israel, for all of us all around the world. And only later on, and again, it takes a very long time, but only in the 1960s, um, is it actually going to become an official law that the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, um, is going to pass? Um, and what exactly happens on that day? And only later on, in the late 90s, do they add to that, that the Memorial Day is not going to be Memorial Day only for um, the fallen soldiers, but it's also going to be commemorating uh, the victims of terror um, of Israel, in Israel, and out of Israel. Um, and that's only going to happen later in an amendment to this law um, in the late 90s, um, early 2000. Um, but I don't want to end just with kind of that story um, of how Gush Etzion ends, but I want to end a little bit with the hope um, of the people of Gush Etzion. After, after the Gush falls, after Kfar Etzion and Gush Etzion falls, um, no Jews are going to be um, in Gush Etzion. They're not going to be in the land of Judea, in the land of where um, our really core essence of the Jewish people is. And the symbol of Gush Etzion is going to be right over here. I know it's not so clear, but it's a picture of what's called the lone tree or the lone oak tree. And um, in Hebrew called Alona Boded. And because Kfar Etzion is high, is elevated high in the mountain, when you're standing in Jerusalem, you're standing south of Jerusalem, you could see the Alona Boded, you could see um, the lone oak tree. And the kids of Gush Etzion and the survivors from Gush Etzion, as I said, weren't many, it was only four, and, and the kids of the founders of Gush Etzion would come and look over the area where they were born and praying and davening to be able to come back and to rebuild Kfar Etzion, to rebuild Gush Etzion. Um, and their dream is going to come true 19 years later. Um, and in June 7, 1967, in middle of the Six-Day War, in one day, the city of Yerushalayim is going to be reunited. The city of Hebron is going to be liberated. The city of Beit Lechem. Um, and of course, the whole region in the middle between Jerusalem um, to Hebron, and that's going to be the area of Gush Etzion. And for now, the dream has come true. And the, and the founders or the children of the founders of Gush Etzion are going to come back to Gush Etzion and refund uh, again um, and start Kfar Etzion and the other kibbutzim, what we know today as Gush Etzion again, um, since 1967 up until today. And today we're not talking about just four point four Jewish settlements, but we're talking about a flourishing area which many of us, I'm sure, have visited when we were here in Israel, um, which really symbolizes what it actually means to be able to come up and say, after such a tragedy, after Gush Etzion has fallen, um, and we lost 240 of our people, but we now, coming back and living there and working the land, we're saying, this is our answer. This is really what it means to rebuild again. Um, and as the people of Gush Etzion and Kfar Etzion, really see it 
um, is really part um, of, of being rebuilt after, um, after the War of Independence and having the ability to come back. Um, and with that, first of all, I'll take last questions, but with that we'll end um, and kind of try, it doesn't matter where we are, but you have the ability now for the next 24 hours, really the next 48 hours, to kind of think of like, where do we kind of fit into this whole story? Um, there's stories all around um, the internet for the next 24 hours that are going to be also on the Israeli TV um, and just of, you know, of fallen soldiers, of victims of terror, and to kind of try to tap into that day, um, to say it to Hillem for, for maybe a soldier that, that we don't know, uh, but to come and say, what can I do? What is a mitzvah that I could do, um, you know, for their neshama, for their, you know, specifically in this day, and to kind of bring um, that, that aspect also into our life. Um, with that, I want to thank you. Um, and that we should have, of course, a meaningful day today, but also every single day, and to really bring that meaning into our life wherever we are. So I'll take the last few questions, um, and then we'll finish. There's any questions, and if not, I'll tell you guys, have a great day. Thank you. Pleasure, have a great day. Um, and I'm here for any questions if anyone wants. We don't have any questions. Great. So have an awesome day, everyone. And hopefully we'll see you guys again soon. Okay, I'm going to end this meeting.